Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by kids with incredible taste in outdated music, because every witty kid memorizes obscure 90s bands. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Viopril. The Cadillac of heart medication. Don't settle for the generic that delivers the same results. Go with your gut and trust your heart. Choose Viopril. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, writers, actors. I don't know, a producer and one extraordinarily reluctant producer. One is (laughs) happy to do it uh, and good. And one uh, is good, but very unhappy to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So part of that, uh, what we do here on the show is analyzing films coming from that aspect, right? Of our understanding and our experience behind the camera, in front of the camera, post-production, all the, all the things. And we try to get better uh, based on what we can watch a film, demystify it a little bit and see how to make our own processes processes man i'm butchering this opening killing it uh you know how to get better at the process you know all all the while and part of that is of course getting our own reps in because what good is learning if you don't ever apply it uh and so it's been a really slow year for me which i may circle back to at some point but this past week was very busy for you, <laughs> sir. Uh, you were in town. You're you're based in San Francisco, more or less, um, and you flew into Austin. And you had a long week. You had an idea. You said you knew what three weeks in, in advance. You're like, hey, I'm gonna be in town. Let's make something. <laughs> I was like, uh, okay. And so I sat down and spent just agonizing. Uh, seconds and seconds creating a script <laughs> like what maybe 60 to 80 minutes I, I had an idea and wrote the script and sent it to you and had something to film so that you could come into town and we could make something together yeah and it, it was fun I'll I'll get into that a little bit but you had an incredibly busy week with production on top of production how was that for you just in terms of cramming in a million things uh what what did your week look like from uh from a high level yeah i don't i don't typically like to you know i guess say how how busy i am it just feels like you know i'm just you know doing things to do things but <laughs> it just so happened that a lot of my life is still in austin so whenever i have a chance to go back there i want to get as much done as i can really and i'm wor- working on a record and the producer's there in Austin. So I wanted to go through all the tracks with him. So I, one day when I first got there, uh, one day, the next day I went to the studio and spent the, uh, most of the day there going through all the tracks with him. The night I got in, we did our first night of filming, which was, which was cool. I got in at seven 30, you picked me up. We went straight to, to set and started filming. That was, that was fun. And, th- but after I would say the second day of filming, cause I went to the studio the next morning, was there most of the day, and then we did filming that afternoon and evening. I could tell this was going to be this going to be a week uh, because I hadn't even started the filming of my. <laughs> I was going down for town. a convention. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was going down for a convention for my for my job uh, to film it, um, and it's a three day long convention. So, and I did all of that that I just said before the convention even started, and then we had to do two more days of filming. At, at, yeah, at least, uh, 
with us. So I knew it was going to be long. And plus, you know, after hours and stuff, there's parties and everything because we nobody in my company has seen each other for two years and, and all that stuff. So yeah, it was really busy and a lot, but I knew that if I, you know, just stay present and, and get through it, that by the end of the week, I'd be, you know, pretty proud and happy about everything that, that, that we did. And it was, and it was fun. And while moments of it, I was super exhausted. You know, those are the moments that, uh, that you remember, you know, the, you don't remember the ones where you're just like, man, I'm, I'm, I have all the energy in the world. No, you remember the times when it's like, you're questioning, why am I here? You know, like, I just, I want to go to bed or, uh, I just want to go home or whatever. I just want to do nothing. But then, but you keep going, and those are the moments that you remember. And I, I think I'll definitely remember several moments because of that. That's so funny. Like, so we shot on film, 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 super sixteen millimeter um, film, and I knew I wanted to shoot on this really, if for no other reason, just to get some reps in. I just haven't done enough shooting on super sixteen, and I want to shoot my feature on super sixteen. And it's just good practice to to get a lot of practice in ideally like a thousand hours right you're just very it's rote you want to get to set and everything is rote it doesn't feel like you're having to remember things um it's just a part of your hand right and so part of that process is obviously just getting as many reps as you can in it's interesting shooting on film though i've shot several projects now on film and it's it's always a bit of a a learning curve for everyone on set uh, and so I'm at a point now where I'm pretty comfortable. And that first night of filming, uh, I remember you, we were about, I don't know, towards the end of it. And, uh, we were getting ready to roll a take and you asked, you know, how you feeling? You nervous? And I was like, no, I, I felt completely 100% comfortable and zero anxiety at all. Uh, but I can also be a bit fatalistic because there's that there's points in any process where you have control and there's points where you don't, um, like, I've been in car wrecks before where you could have measured my heartbeat and not seen any difference from, you know, me sitting on a seat, right? Uh, just because like, well, I'm not the driver. There's nothing I can do. So what does it matter? Like I, and so I can become very fatalistic. And at that point in the process, when you asked me, like I'd already loaded the film, um, I'd already taken my readings. Uh, so there was just nothing for me to do other than and I can't control your performance uh, and everyone else on set. And so there's nothing for me to do. All I can do is try to capture it. Uh, but even that just felt very lax. And I, I was trying to get out of my head on capturing. I didn't go, walk in with a huge shot list of I want 50 angles. Every take was a oneer, Um, And I'm being very generous by calling most of these winners. There was one like four minute take, four and a half. But other than that, they're all like 20, 30 second takes. And so uh, not much of a wonder uh, in that regard. But at the same time, I just didn't want to feel walking on the set. I need to get a thousand things like, okay, I have a broad strokes idea of what I'm trying to grab. Um, and it's okay if I change my mind on the day uh, because I was trying to use some of the music. It's a story about a busker. It's inspired by the movie once uh, that we covered previously. Uh, and it was like, okay, I'm going to rely on music to provide transitions. So I didn't feel, and it's, I don't know if it'll work, but that was the goal. And I think, you know, we've got the potential there for it to work. Uh, and so I was not nervous at all, but I could see there was a pressure there with y'all, with um, you, Jess and Scott, you know, on that first night that 
especially as we finished, we had three rolls of film. Each roll of film gives you 11 minutes worth of footage. Not a lot, you know, in digital age, it's virtually nothing, you know, that's lint uh, in your pocket compared to money. And so I could feel like there was, you know, uh, certainly some pressure and there was some false takes, right? Where we got whether halfway into the take and there was just a, a blooper. Um, but for the most part, y'all did a good job of pushing through it. Even if those takes weren't exactly usable, I still knew y'all didn't abandon y'all did uh, entirely like y'all pulled out maybe for four or five seconds before trying to jump back in. And I appreciated that even if it's not flawless, what mattered to me was you didn't completely stop the scene. Like, uh, that's a good way for me to fire you on the set and completely never use you again. Like if you abandon a take in the middle of the take and say, and an actor should never yell cut. <laughs> and the number of times I've seen actors do that, Right. Or they, they flub a line and they just oh, cut like, uh, no MF or like that is not your job. Your job is to stay there, stay in it. And so y'all did a really great job uh, of that. And we rolled through that first film, uh, that first roll, and we all knew we didn't have it yet. We had a potential take. Ah, oh, this could probably work. This could probably work. And if at worst came to worst, I knew in post, I could finish, I could do a jump cut in between two takes and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because the film itself is very jump cutty. Um, and so I wasn't going to tell y'all that I didn't want y'all to feel too at ease, but I knew in my mind there's, there's, there's uh workarounds, but there was that moment when we loaded up the, the second roll and we only had two rolls for filming at night. And the take that y'all were doing was a good four minute take. And I don't want to do the math for y'all, but four minutes out of an 11 minute roll, it's a lot, <laughs> especially when you have to get a bunch of other, you know, scenes with the rest of that 11 minutes, um, with the rest of that role. And so I was getting to the point of contingency. I was like, okay, it's not, you know, flawless. What I can do is, uh, instead I'll start moving into coverage and you and Jess were both like, no, no, give us one more take. I promise we're, we're right there. We'll get it. I'm like, Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty easy on that front. I like to trust my people and y'all nailed it. It was a great take. I'm excited to see it. Uh, hopefully I took the lens cap off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you hit record. Yeah. Oh, you know, you did. Cause <laughs> yeah, the, the timer yeah. was going right. The, uh, the, the counter on the, on the side of the, the film camera was rolling and we got to the end. And I was like, that was awesome. But I could see what was cool, and I'm interested to hear you know your perspective on this. Uh, was I could feel the impact of that first night and what it meant for the rest of the shooting days. Like, and I'm so glad Scott was wrapped um, because we got a couple of his scenes out of the way before we rolled you and uh, Jess the big scene, and Scott stuck around, which was really cool, and he helped slate. We didn't have a slate. Uh, Normally you have a clapper loader on set. Maybe your second AC is slating everything so that uh, super 16, there's no optical uh, strip in, in, in the film. So you can't record audio at all. There's zero audio attached to the film strip, uh, which means if you're going to sync the video footage to audio, we have a sound man on set. Sergio was gracious enough to, to, you know, help us out on set and donate his time and skill and if you're going to do a really good job of syncing that, you need something visually to sync to. 
And so Scott slating was a big deal, right? That's that clapper thing that you see people clap and him sticking around really helped for sure with syncing audio, but also I could see he also began to feel what it meant to roll film because every time I yell market. So the way you usually, it's a little different from how you, you slate video video, you slate. And it, this is what it sounds like. Uh, roll sound sound man says sound speeds. Uh, then you call for the, the film. You say roll camera, camera speeds, mark it or slate it um, and or call it. Uh, and then your slate, your clapper loader will say like, you know, whatever, take one, scene one, blah, 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 uh, mark. And he claps it. Well, on film, you can't do all that because every single second that you're rolling film uh, needs to be useful. So instead, you wait to start rolling film until after they've called it because all you need is the audio of him calling it and the visual of the contact of the the slate making contact with itself. Um, and that produces a very sharp sound that the audio picks up, that spike in the audio, uh, as well as a visual element for you to see in camera. And so the way you do it in film is, you know, roll sound, sound speeds, call it, and now roll whatever, roll one, take scene one, take one, and then roll camera, uh, camera speeds, mark it, mark, clap out. And now instead of spending that extra five, six seconds rolling film, you've saved five or six seconds for stuff that actually matters. And having someone on set to help with that is a big deal. But I could feel from the rest of that because Scott stuck around and helped. He, the way he was performing and I think even more the, the way rehearsals were taken from there on out were much, much better. The quality of rehearsals shot up, whatever, not, not that it's a, a quantitative thing, but you know, tenfold, <laughs> like a hundredfold, like, because the rehearsals sucked, you know, when we were on set rehearsing you and Jess, they were extra mediocre. Um, but as soon as we started rolling, suddenly it was like, okay, I get it now. <laughs> and then after that, like, you know, y'all came together really well that night. Um, and then the, the rehearsals for the rest of the week were fantastic. Like every time we rehearsed, it felt like we were rolling because y'all were there. It felt, uh, from my perspective anyway, it felt very more uh, present. Um, and y'all were giving the performance before you had to give the performance so that I could get a good feel for this is what's going to happen. Um, here's some adjustments we can make. Uh, and from there on, the efficiency was just dynamite. And that's, for me, has been my experience on every set that I've been on. You need everyone to feel it a little bit at the beginning. And then it really pays dividends later on because uh, the process begins to, to, to take on another tone, um, another set of expectations and importance begins to really set in. I don't know. That's from the camera operating side. Uh, what was it any different for you? Did you feel any different? Yeah, uh, I I 100% agree. Scott sticking around changed a lot because all of a sudden we have a crew. You know, mm -hmm. we, we kind of did with Serge being there, uh, you know, running sound, which again, like Wes said, thank you, Serge, for that. That was that was massive. I mean, we're talking about a busker on a corner. If it sounds bad, you know, it's going to be a shitty, shitty show. Yeah, but but at, having Scott there, too, it was like it was a little bit more of a crew based mm -hmm. kind of situation, which feel felt a little bit more important and a little bit more like like legit, I guess, if you want to call it, even though, you know that doesn't really matter. You know, we've been on sets with n no crew at all and that's, it's just as important, but it just felt different. 
But uh, I mean, I, I have to say it shooting on film is nothing, nothing like shooting on, on a digital camera, nothing at all. And I, when I say nothing, I really mean nothing. I mean, like shooting on a digital camera feels, I mean, after shooting on film, it feels flat. It feels unimportant. It feels, um, like, uh, uh, you're just capturing what, I don't know. You're just capturing what happens, but on film, there's so much more. And I, I don't want to call it pressure. It's Mm. yeah, it's pressure, I guess, but you should feel pressure regardless, you know, because you're, you're trying to, as an actor, you, you, you know, you're an actor trying to perform or you're just trying to react in a way that does justice to what the director sees. Right. Yeah. So if you're, you happen to be the director and the writer on this, but in some cases they're different. So you're, but you're, the director is trying to say, this is what I want to see or feel. And you're trying to give that. Right. But in in this case, there's this added, like, uh, I want to call it analog. I want to call it like analog feeling. Like if if you're a musician, you kind of know what I'm talking about. There is a difference between digital and analog. And there's something that analog gives you that you just can't get from digital. And I can tell you what that is sonically, you know, but when you're talking about film, I can't really tell you what that is. It just is like a feeling of, uh, of like, uh, or organic, this is organic feeling, right? That's what I felt on on it like when i had the scene with jess the scene that actually worked mm-hmm. right it felt organic and nothing about it felt i don't know it's hard to explain you know you have uh it's a very it's a very technical camera that you have i'm not saying that it's uh any less technical than uh you know a red or something right it's 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 just there's more moving parts it's it's i'm burning something right like it is final whatever goes into that camera is final i'm not gonna he can't go back and delete it so uh there's that feeling of of just be just be in the moment because that's all you've got is that moment and it's capturing that moment and i can't undo it which kind of forced me honestly to relax more right and to be more authentic or like more like in the moment more present because i didn't have the luxury of thinking during a take Mm. i didn't have that luxury i had to at least this is how i felt and i don't know how you feel when you act on film but like i felt like if i didn't do that like i you know we sit here and we talk about actors and and acting and and acting is reacting and all that stuff and, and and everything but to put it into practice it's a lot easier to do when you know that you have to right i i've got two maybe three takes at this Right. So if I don't if I don't react and I don't, you know, like get out of my own head, then he won't get it. I know he won't and or he'll get it, but he won't like it, you know, or it won't be right. It won't be real. So it just felt almost freeing to say to say, okay, just let it all go, because there's (laughs) he won't get it if you don't. And if you do, he might get it. It was cool to watch because there it's it's very, you know, in football you have what you call the two minute drill, right? At the end of a half, the two minute warning goes off, right? Referees are stop the clock. 
And then there's just a level of focus that kicks in. And I could see that happen, you know, when we when we started that final take, there was just a focus that just kicked in. Y'all went into a zone and it was amazing because y'all were both aware of what you needed to do for the camera. Well, you didn't have to do anything because uh, you didn't have a camera strap. And so I couldn't move you around, unfortunately, uh, or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Uh, but just you mean did. a guitar strap, the guitar yeah, strap. Yeah, yeah sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah, you didn't have the guitar strap. So we out of frame is you standing on the, the camera box. <laughs> yeah, you can do what you gotta do. <laughs> Whatever you gotta do uh, in order to keep the, the guitar propped up so that you can actually play your guitar standing. But Jess had uh, had these movements that she had to do in order to open up to the camera or adjust um, for the frame. And I could see her feeling it while still maintaining focus on what you were both doing for each other, uh, delivering lines and um, uh, character and just this general, genuine connection that y'all were creating there in the moment. And it was really cool to see just y'all go into a zone. And it was, I became secondary uh, to everything that was happening between y'all. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that's, and you're right. I mean, it's the pressure, but it's, there, there is something more than that because pressure just sounds so, I don't know, atavistic, right? It's just uh, a little too primal. It, 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 it's not that it's something ascendant. And I, I know we're sounding pretentious as all hell right now, but yeah. uh, if you, if you've ever been in a moment where you had to deliver right, you get up to deliver a speech, there's no do overs when you, when you get up you know, to give a speech a toast at a wedding or whatever it's now or never. And there's just something else that kicks in, in your brain that says, here we are, whatever happens is going to happen. It's time to just let go and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think there, there's a, there's a thing I've done, I've done, you know, several projects, uh, as an actor, but I think I learned more acting this, doing this one thing with you on film than anything cumulatively that I've done, you know, uh, in the past, I think it all comes down to, to this feeling free to let go, Hmm. right? Like giving, give me an, give me an excuse to completely let go. Cause as human beings, it's very hard for us to do that. It's very hard, you know, even as, as actors, you know, like you, 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 you train, uh, and you you go into projects and you think I and you you tell yourself let go. You can tell yourself all that all day, but actually doing it, I mean, that's what makes the best actors the best. They completely so like let go of themselves or or whatever, and they just let it happen. It they don't actually act, you know. They just kind of are there, right? And and I think that this what this did was it gave me an, a reason to, and I don't even know if it's good. It might suck, dude, I, honestly, but like be in that one take and a few of the other takes and st- that we did like the next couple of nights, I felt like I had an excuse to completely not, 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 not be me, right. Not be Todd to just completely like let it go. And whatever happened, happened. Um, but I needed that excuse and I've never felt that before in any other set to have that excuse to like completely let go. I also haven't, you know, done a project where necessarily where I've needed to, to be honest, but shooting on film gave me that cause I, I had to, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, you know, tried to, as much as I could like foster that attitude of there's nothing precious in the script. 
Like, I don't need you to deliver the lines. I need you to deliver the attitude and the the tone um, and and your character, whoever it is, like find them and, and go there. And so I appreciated your willingness to throw things at the wall and be okay if they didn't stick, right? There's a, a line you were playing with and I was like, we kept playing with it and I was like, you know, it's not working for me. You're like, cool, you know, whatever. Like, here's where we are. And there was plenty of scenes where I was trying to get you to not look at the script at all. It's like, whatever, don't, don't even look. (laughs) Let's just, let's play around a little bit. Let's talk it out. I think, um, for a lot of actors, um, especially if you're not a really seasoned actor, it's hard to go from the page to performance without it feeling like you're still on the page. Um, there's a certain thing that happens in your voice whenever you're reading lines off a page, that's not going to happen if you're not reading whenever you're being a human being. And this is where I encourage actors to just listen to conversations. Like if you get into a conversation with two other people, step outside your body for a minute and just listen to them, listen to their pitch, listen to their rhythms, listen to their flows. Like you'll hear all kinds of variations in pitch. Whereas when people are reading off the page, suddenly everything goes a little bit more monotone. If you imagine the wavelength as this uh, bar moving, you know, in the middle, it's a lot more in the middle. Whereas, you know, there's all these peaks and valleys in a normal conversation of people just being right. Uh, People just talking and the pitch just goes all over the place. And so as much as I could, uh, and I love the idea of the script isn't precious. Instead, we're going to get so much more natural. We'll find those rhythms so much easier uh, by not even thinking about, you know, what's written on the page. Instead, we'll remember what's what's there and it's going to be imprecise. Mm-hmm. And that imprecision is what's going to create all this life and all this uh, naturalism uh, because you're just kind of remembering what's there, but you don't know. So you're kind of also ad-libbing. It's this meshing of these two things. Uh, and I think there's something so much more beautiful and fluent in humanity with that attitude. Uh, and so I was really you know, proud of your work. I agree. I have no idea if it's going to turn out. Uh, if it doesn't, it won't be your fault. <laughs> it'll be, <laughs> well, we'll it'll be the writer director. Uh, well, but I'm okay with taking that L. There are, there are um, a couple of, I really appreciated that too, of like, you don't have to get all the, the words right. Cause you know, some, some directors are very, you know, script heavy and, and that's what it's gotta be. And that's really hard to do as an actor to, like you said, to like be exactly on script, but it to feel real. So those actors like Denzel Washington is probably one of the best at it. I would say, cause like, you know, you don't do Shakespeare and exactly right and be amazing at it unless you're an amazing, amazing actor on a whole nother level. Uh, but there are words in the script that are vital, mm-hmm. right? In, yeah. in your script in particular, there was there was one where I was supposed to say not yet, like as in like, this isn't my job yet. And, you know, I skipped it a couple of times in rehearsals and, and Jess was, had the forthright to say, uh, you know, knowledge to say, hey, we actually need that work, you know, that we actually need you to say that because that is, that is the emphasis of the whole thing, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's not yet. I'm working towards that as a character, right? But other than that, you know, as long as that's said in a certain way, right? Like it does, it doesn't matter when it comes. It doesn't matter how it comes. It just needs to come. And then that triggers her to react to me saying that. And, and uh, so, yeah, there are certain words, but for the most part, yeah, we kind of just reacted to each other in that last scene. And so, however, it turns out it was fun and, and exciting and it was a good script. I really enjoyed it and a lot of work. 
So I, I hope, I really hope it turns out well. <laughs> Ditto. Really do. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm going to see if you can do some fun scoring stuff that I have in mind for it. Mm. Uh, and maybe yeah, I'd love to elevate it just a little bit more. I think that's what filmmaking in a nutshell is. It's a totality of a bunch of little bitty things. Um, and if you can put all these little bitty things together, you can come up with a really good film. Uh, maybe something even as good as what are we covering today, man? <laughs> Nice. Uh, good segue there. Today we are covering The Host. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, please pause it and, and go watch it. It's the uh, the Bong Joon-ho film from, what is it, 2006? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, from 2006. So if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go watch it. Yeah, we'll look at a few things. Um, we'll look at a little bit of the monster origin story, how everyone's a moron, uh, some of the directing and editing, the use of match cuts, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And a quick synopsis of the film, when a monster emerges from Seoul's Han River and begins attacking people, one victim's loving family does what it can to rescue her from the monster's clutches. It's directed by Bong Joon-ho, screenplay by Bong Joon-ho, Won Joon-ha, and Chul Hyun-baek, cinematography by Hyung-koo Kim, featuring Song Kang-ho as Gang-do, Byun-hee-bong as the father, Park Hae-il as Na-mil, Dun Bei as Namju and Ko Sung as Hyun So. Nice. Uh, no clip today. I debated playing the intro with the uh, the American military scientist, uh, but it still mixes in a fair amount of Korean. And so uh, we'll just jump straight in. So I, I, I remember, I want to say you even recommended this at one point, mm-hmm. but it's probably been a while since you've seen it. So I'm curious, uh, is this still a fun film for you? It really is. Uh, I think I want to say I probably saw it in 2016 or so. So yeah, it's been about six, six years, six, seven years, but, but yeah, it really is a a fun film for me because, you know, stuff happens right away. I mean, that opening shot is so beautiful. It's so beautiful of them in the, in the morgue, I guess is where they are because there's formaldehyde and stuff. Just that still open shot of the, two shot uh of of both of the doctors and it just stays there for quite a while and it's very moody the lighting is so gorgeous and textures all over the place yeah it's very contrasty and it sets the precedent we never go back to them we never see those doctors again it just gives you a sense of foreboding right so anyway i loved how it started i love the characters I, i i mean i think that one of Bong Joon-ho's massive strengths is his ability to mix comedy with horror in just the right way. And I feel like he did that really well in this film. I mean, there is a lot of horror. We never see almost any blood. I mean, there's a little bit like when the father dies, Mm -hmm. you know, and a couple other moments, but it's very, you know, it's, it's not very, I guess, gory. Uh, but there's this sense of gore, right? Where th- when the monster throws up all the human bones and throws up people that are actually dead or like starts eating, sucking in somebody who's dead or something like that or or whatever. Or like it'll do this thing where it cuts away right before something terrible happens when he catches the kids, uh, when the he, when the monster catches the kids at the end. Uh, so there's the sense of horror and the sense of of dread but it's not so heavy that I can't rewatch this, right? 
I mean, you know how I feel about kids dying in films and his daughter ends up dying. I didn't remember that. I didn't either. That completely took me by surprise. Right? Because right? I was gory. waiting not... for her to wake up. Yeah, same. Same. But the little boy wakes up. And that's such a better story. <laughs> it's such a better story that the little boy wakes up because uh, him as a father, he's a failed father. He's an absolute, total piece of trash, right? Yet you don't ever get that sense of that, right? So he's he's a guy who failed his daughter at the beginning, but is trying to, you know, his best to to make up for that, right? And then, um, but he's slow. He's kind of... He doesn't take action. He makes mistakes a lot. He's messy. He doesn't bathe. Like, you know, all of these things. He he thinks he's grabbing her hand at the beginning and he's grabbed somebody else's. How can you make that mistake? You know, that's, that's you know, the, your first, because then in his, in your mind, in his mind, the first thing he was thinking about was fleeing, not who am I fleeing with? And so, yes, it was 100% his fault, right? And so, he, and then at the end to see him, take such charge and to to take that woman hostage to get out of where he was and to to find her was really important because it showed it showed what she it showed his daughter was super was strong enough to know I need to take care of this little boy right it showed that he had what was in her she had what mm-hmm. was in him it just hadn't come out yet right and so we see that in her and she sacrifices herself for that little boy and then uh, at the end where they're sitting at the dinner table, you know, he's ready for it to happen. He's got the gun next to him. He's going to protect this little boy at all costs, no matter what. That will never happen again. And so they they both have this kind of coming to this heroic status at the end. Even though he technically fails by not saving her, he ends up killing the monster and he ends up getting himself together and being the father that he always should have been for her at the beginning, being the man that he, that basically this journey of trying to save her turned him into or brought out of him, I should say, not turned him into, but brought out of him. Yeah. I, I don't, there are a couple of things like, I don't know the whole, lo- the bottomizing uh, oh, right, the, situation. Yeah. I don't know how he could still have the function he had after that actually happened. I did not remember that happening. I thought, oh, yeah, how is he going to get out of this? This is horrible. <laughs> That was the, that was the hor- most horrific scene in yeah. the whole film for me. Was him begging, begging to be let out because I for, I mean, what an amazing actor he is! Like, just I, I, I don't know. I don't even have any words for him to go to this kind of you know aloof dude to being so scared in that moment and then being so heroic at the end. Like that takes a monumental jump to for it to be believable. I should yeah. say anybody can do that independent from one another but for it to be believable his journey is amazing it really is and i can it's you know to your point about him as an actor uh song kong ho it's easy to see why bong joon ho keeps going back to him because he's been in a lot of his films parasite and memories of murder uh he's just a a staple in a lot of bong joon ho films and to that end i mean i also appreciate bong joon ho as a creator because he does these really artsy films like a memories of murder like a parasite and yet he's not above a monster film. Uh, now it's a monster film with something to say, but it's like the, the CG isn't flawless, right? It's not this 150 million. I'm sure he would have loved to have had an extra, whatever, 10, 15 million to make it that much better. But 
he was happy to do with what he could and it sells it like I don't really need this monster to be any better, to be honest. <laughs> like I don't agonize over, Oh, it's not. And I think it comes back to what you said uh, about him mixing in uh, the, the comedy with the dramatic uh, because it creates this very strange world where you don't need everything to be perfect. Like imperfections are welcome. And I, yeah, I still really enjoy this film. I hadn't seen it probably since not long after it came out. I watched it once or twice and then hadn't picked it up since I felt, I thought I had it pretty well in my head until uh, I started going through it. And I'm like, Oh crap, this opening scene of the, the attack happens 10 minutes into the movie. Like, yeah, it's like right away, right away. And I think at this point in, you know, cinema uh, 2006, we're used to having to wait to see the monster, right? The monster usually picks people off a little bit until the big reveal and, you know, halfway through the second act or something. Uh, and here we are like 10 minutes in broad daylight and he's attacking everybody. <laughs> like he is going nuts. And uh, let me call out, this is not a short film. This is a two hour movie and in 10, within the first 10 minutes, maybe less, we're like dealing with the monster. It's amazing. It's, you know, it's really astounding. Um, and it kind of takes your breath away. I think the first time you watch it, uh, especially in that era, but I, it works, man. I, I don't need this, you know, flawless T-Rex Jurassic Park, you know, level of visual, visual effects to make me be afraid of, uh, you know, the monster and everyone's safety, you know, Hyunsu and her going toe to toe with that thing. It, it's amazing. And that, that tech, oh my God, I love it because people start attack, uh, start throwing trash into the river that's when it attacks. And so there's this environmental message uh, that this film is kind of approaching, which in a lot of, so I would call this a man versus nature film, right? Uh, and half of these kinds of films, there's no victory. It's just survival. Now, in this case, there's a monster that you can kill and you can get an actual victory. Um, and so that's kind of cool. And I love that, you know, this is a film with a monster that uh, is created out of our irresponsibility so it, you know the origin story of this uh, monster is right there at the beginning and he does a good job of baby stepping it i would say most most creature features have some origin story uh there's a, a rare few that don't give you an origin story i can't even think of any off the top of my head uh, uh but even those are like it came from outer space right most most creature features really give you some idea of where this thing started from. And so in this case, we open, like you said, on that lab, he dumps the formaldehyde, right? The American uh, military scientist makes the Korean uh, scientist dump the formaldehyde into the Han River, right? And um, he's lecturing him, right? He's very condescending <laughs> to, to the, to his coworker or his underling, however you, you, you know, assume that scene is working out because uh, he gives him an order. So I guess it's an underling. And he's like, but, if we do that, they will run into the Han River. And it's like, the Han River is a very broad river. Let's try our best to be broad-minded about this. I'm like, what? That sounds like perfect military logic to me. And as we exit that scene, I love that, that pan shot, right? We're on this dolly shot just sliding over to our right to reveal everything. And they do a great job of packing out the frame because there's probably only like 100 bottles but the way they stack them, 
They're stacked not super deep. There's probably, I don't know, four or five bottles deep, uh, but they stack it very wide. And so that get, it makes a hundred bottles feel like a thousand because now you can lower the camera a little bit and you have a nice tall shot of a bottle, but that sense of depth uh, is there as well. So it feels like the frame is being completely taken over, overrun by these uh, bottles of empty formaldehyde. And they also use a great dissolve there because we go from that as it's rolling through just countless infinite bottles of uh, toxic waste um, and it dissolves to a shot of the Han River. And it's a beautiful way to transition because it emphasizes how the chemicals in the river have blended together because we're seeing the literal frame blend together. Uh, so that's a really good use of a dissolve there. And of course, you know, we graduate from the source and now we're in the river. We're seeing the fishermen find a tiny mutated fish right in Han River and they watch it swim away. And I love this because we never actually see the fish in any of these opening shots, right? It's just this little thing that you can see in a cup and you can't even see it with the naked eyes. It's swimming away and we're all looking, right? Can we, can we see it? Can we see it? No, we can't even see it. Dang. And then we cut to a man on the bridge who's jumping to his death and he sees something dark in the water uh, and no one sees it except him. And what does he say? Morons to the very end. And that's of course very, uh, foreshadowing, um, prophesizing <laughs> of what we're going to be experiencing in this film. And so then we get to the attack, right? We finally see the, the monster hanging off a bridge and I love how everyone, no one knows what it is. Like, what is that like equipment that they left over construction stuff? Uh, and then it unfurls and drops into the river. And our guy, our, our brilliant moron gong do, throws a can that was supposed to be for his customer once again just wasting and giving away people's stuff <laughs> he throws a can into the river and it takes it and then everyone does it right and then suddenly it's just everyone and it's so perfect um because it's kind of underscoring once again the whole idea of this film is this monster was you know born out of wasteful dumping into this river and here we are people dumping you know waste into the river again trash and then it attacks. It doesn't start attacking until they do that. Uh, so in some sense, you're pointing the microscope, you know, at us um, instead of at the monster. And I love how they introduce this monster, though, uh, because the first time we see it, it's, you know, the reaction of Gong Du. He sees something in the distance and they, we do this reverse cut, uh, reverse POV of the monster running down the, the whatever, the sidewalk of the, the river and it's quiet at first. And then the drums start to kick in. And it's so freaking great because it's surreal. It gives you this sense of surrealness that he's experiencing like, wait, wait, what? Uh, and it gives you a solid several seconds of just digesting what you're witnessing. And it reminds me a lot of Jaws, that scene of the, the, the second attack of you know someone getting attacked off the shore. And first, it's it's very unassuming before it's grandiose. And he gives you this moment, uh, Bong Joon-ho, just absorbing this monster, <laughs> huge, running and chasing people down and knocking them over. I don't even know if he eats anybody at that point. But you just sit in it for several seconds uh, before the music really, you know, those drums start beating right. And it's a great, like, racing heartbeat kind of rhythm. Very dramatic, gorgeous. And... That's when all hell breaks loose, right? And from there, I love too, because there's this really nice wonder of 
Gong Du kind of running around the pier and trying to like escape it and, you know, stopping. And this thing is stumbling around, which we'll come back to very shortly. But then we cut to quiet music and it's a close up of this girl digging in her fingernails with a paperclip. And then she gets killed. Like it knocks her down, grabs her. Uh, I don't know if we see it eat her, but it drags her for like 20 feet. And we're just right there with her, seeing her get banged around, dragged by her head. It's, it's bloodless. Like you said, uh, it's, it's bloodless, but also horrifying. It's very dramatic. Uh, and it's a great use of, I don't know, just empathy, I guess, to, to create the horror in our heads. And then we see him, the, the daughter steps out uh, and he grabs her. And that's a beautiful shot because uh, she stepped, she steps out and we're like, Oh God, what's going to happen. And then suddenly he runs by and grabs her all in like one shot. Uh, it's a really beautiful shot. And then we're with them. He stumbles, right? Falls down, gets up, grabs her hand, starts running again, only to realize it's not her. And I love this shot of the reveal because they cut to this girl and it's this girl that has glasses and braids and it's a quick, easy visual distinction from Hyun Seo, who is not wearing glasses, who has very short hair, let alone braids, not, not wearing braids. And so at a glance, this is helping the audience understand what's wrong. It's instantaneous uh, visual communication, which is exactly what you need in this scene. That's just racing. Uh, you need to be able to very quickly communicate what is and is not right. Um, and it's just a great job of casting and wardrobe uh, to set up a, a smart, quick, instantaneous distinction uh, for the audience to grab onto. Yeah. And so from there, you know, all kinds of things are happening. But at the heart of it all is everyone is a complete moron. And I love it because like heroes and government officials alike are nearly all idiots, right? There's all this slipping and falling to underscore it. A lot of this throughout the entire film, everyone is slipping and falling down the entire film. Uh, a lot of comedy comes out of that, but also a lot of horror. The monster is constantly himself itself uh, slipping around, right? Knocking down his victims even. And so even though it's ungraceful, it's also using it as a tactic, right? Uh, there's times where it, it just knocks someone down before it grabs them. Um, and it's just like a football player <laughs> running through the field and like, okay, I may not be graceful, but you know what I can do is beat your ass and then eat you. And so Gang Du also, right? Falling down the entire time. He goes to meet his daughter for the first time uh, and he just falls out of his shoes like a moron. Even when he's escaping the hospital, right? He knocks down that that girl in the hospital who later becomes a witness with the voice thing, right? Uh, and they're like, we know who you are despite the voice uh, thing. Uh, and so the government official, the first time they're in the, the hospital trying to recover and you have this gov official in a hazmat suit who's walking very official like and then he slips and busts his ass <laughs> and then he gets up and tries to like retain some authority and the the entire team later on they set up that really smart sting operation to capture nam il right he's going into to his buddy's office to radio in or find a the the cell phone signal source you know location we're going to find her and they have like 15 people and they're just bumbling around right the entire team botches a capture of uh nam il and just clumsy and they lock they get they get locked in uh the nam uh the whole family at the at the memorial 
falls down, right? They're all, and that's a beautiful sequence because it starts as really heartbreaking. You're seeing them start to mourn and your heart's going out to them for, you know, a good 15, 20 seconds. You're like, man, this sucks because you cut to this picture of Hyunseo and it's just the most adorable picture you've ever seen in your life. She's got this really big smile with the snaggle tooth. And you're just like, oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> like, I feel terrible. And then what's so good is the brother walks in and he's drinking. And, he, and you instantly know this is the brother, the un- drunk uncle. And he's taking the last drink and he's watching. And you can feel his judgment on his family as he's just watching them cry and wail. And he looks at the girl and... And we're like, finally, we have someone responsible. <laughs> and then he goes berserk, even crazier than all of them. And then they all start hugging and they all collapse onto the ground. And we cut to this beautiful overhead shot of them all wrangling around on the ground. <laughs> so bad. Hilarious. Uh, it turns this, this heartbreaking moment into a farce, right? It's just really fantastic. And it's completely underscored by the music that takes on this kind of circus, you know, trapeze artist kind of tone, um, just clowns. It becomes a total clown show. Uh, and it's just a great choice of music. It's so weird. It's Bong Joo Ho in a nutshell. And then of course, uh, his sister isn't quite as big of a moron, but she still has some moronic tendencies. Like she's very slow, right? That, that's her whole problem is uh, she's indecisive maybe, or just slow to act. And we see that as she's going for the gold, it's in her grasp and she waits until half a second after the buzzer to release her shot and she gets bronze. Um, that became her, her bag of shame that she kind of, you know, walks around with. And of course, you know, at the end of the film, she's redeemed, but not before she does it again. Right. She, uh, she's right there. She sees the monster and she waits until it's right on top of her before she releases in, uh, she gets knocked out. Like she pays a price for that for sure. But you know, of course you have the perfect moment at the end of the film, maybe slightly too perfect, but I think in the moment, the first time you're watching it, it's awesome. <laughs> like You're just like, yeah, <laughs> because you have Nam ill, this drunkard who's finally lined up everything, right? He's, he's got the Molotov cocktail and he's going for the kill and he just drops it. <laughs> he just, just perfect emblematic moment of the entire family of, we got everything the exact way we need it. And uh, I, I just couldn't hold on to it. And then she comes up, picks up the slack because this is her gold medal. She hits a, uh, a bullseye uh, for the pun. And so, however, I think you could make a really good argument. Not a moron. Hyun Seo, because she finds herself, like you said, being the mom that she never had to this little boy. Uh, and that's just a really beautiful, you know, sequence to see them interacting together. It's really cool when you have two good kids acting on screen together through good writing and good directing. Like it's really hard to make all those things kind of come together to sing. Uh, and they really do in this film, those two together on screen just melt, but she also has some really great epic failures, right? Because you see, uh, taking control of her fate and that makes her a very likable and rootable character. Like it's absolutely easy to get on her side and be like, yes, someone is finally going to do something uh, to, to figure this thing out. And she makes a, a, the rope right um, out of clothing and finds this baton to, to lash it all onto. And she throws it up, right? She tosses it up, but it's too short. And that's kind of her moronic moment of, 
Uh, she just didn't make it long enough. You can't really blame her for that, though. There's there's only so many clothes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sometimes there's just not enough frocks. And so the other part of her brilliance, though, is whenever the monster comes back, right, you have that massive bone dump. And that's an incredible moment. Because up until that point, you don't really understand why he's not eating everybody. Why is she? Why? Why would he save her? Why wouldn't he just eat her? Uh, what's going on until he coughs up that skull? Because at first she thinks, oh, we might have someone else to help us. Uh, and so she's waiting on a, a body, hopefully a living person like her. No, it's a freaking skull. And then, you know, it just pours out bones. And then suddenly, once again, through great visual communication, we understand two things at once. One, the reason he hasn't been eating everyone is he's been digesting. Two, he is now no longer full and he's ready for a new meal. And so there's this immediate understanding and fear that kicks in simultaneously. Um, and it's just beautiful. And so he starts snacking on all these bodies and Hanseo and the little boy dash out, barely make it. Um, so the monster continues feasting, right? And then he takes a nap. And now this is, once again, Hanseo having this light bulb moment. Okay. I'm going to throw this can. And I love that beer moment. I love whenever they're talking about all the food they want to eat. Uh, and what does she say? I just want a cold beer. <laughs> she just wants to be with her dad. Yeah. So good. Yeah. What a great line because she hated the beer. <laughs> but she loves her dad. Yeah. And she takes this beer and she throws it, hits the monster, sees it doesn't move. Okay. I'm going to make a dash and she lays it out for the little boy. Like, Hey, don't move. I'll be back. I'm bringing everyone. I'm bringing doctors, uh, the military government officials, scientists, Funyuns, root beer. We're going to do everything. (laughs) And she does it. It's such a great moment. She makes the run. She makes the jump. She grabs it. Right. Uh, and then just everything freezes. Her face goes still and we start rotating around. Um, and it's just as, amazing moment where she releases the rope and she's just floating and we're like what and it's just this bang bang moment of how in the world is she floating oh my god the monster has her what a great reveal what a brilliant idea because there's a million ways that you could approach this of uh the monster gets her right there's a there's a thousand ways he bong jun ho and his other writers could have approached that scene it's in the outline the monster's going to get her and he's going to take her to the, the big zone, right? With the, the big finale. How do we build up to this moment where he gets her? Well, we don't want her to be an idiot, right? She doesn't just get got. And it's a little too easy for him to just snake his tail into the hole and grab her. And, um, and now he wins. Uh, instead, let's make it about her brilliance and also having an epic failure. Because we respect her try, we re- absolutely respect her doing whatever she can to save her and the boy. Okay, well, how do we build that out? And it's just a really great moment because the tension is built from there as the monster lowers her. And that's just devilish. What a great devilish moment uh, because that could have been it. We could have just thrown her into his mouth and instead he lowers her and we're going to create all kinds of tension. And it's built in the stillness. Because up until that moment, right, there was a lot of action. And now we're just creating more and more tension through stillness. And we wait ages to create this sense of tension in order to give contrast to tiny movements. Because if you go bang, bang, bang from there, 
it loses a little bit of its impact. Whereas if you just kind of take a moment, let her tell the boy some things and nothing move, no one moves. Uh, now suddenly tiny movements, right? The boy wetting his pants. Suddenly you can feel that a lot better, <laughs> which is a really unfortunate phrase. Uh, but uh, you can see like the, the movement on the screen of him wetting himself uh, and the little tiny movements of Hyun Seo, right? We paint or tilt down to see her feet and we see her just slowly twist her foot to get into position to make a sprint. And the sound suddenly is big. It's echoing in her ears. It's tiny sound, but it's so loud now. And then just that little movement. And it's like a maybe six frames. We cut to the monster's eye as it slightly moves. And then all hell breaks loose. Uh, what a great, that contrast is just so brilliant. Uh, and he really earns it by creating a long, long, long moment of stillness because from there you know bang 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 suddenly it feels like there's not enough time in the world a minute ago we had all the time in the world and now there mm -hmm. is just not there just genius i just adore his directing my god couldn't agree more that scene was so stressful stressful oh my gosh <laughs> uh and of course you know he gets her um we don't know what happens next but beyond that a lot of great match cuts in the directing i love the match cut from there because gong du immediately after that scene walks up on the den right he finds the monster's nest mm, right and he starts to lower himself down and he sees wait it's, this is all empty where is she and then he looks up and sees the monster walking overhead sees his daughter's hand and now it, it's on like the race is on he starts climbing up and there's this match cut that goes from below with him reaching up and we cut to the top of where his hand should be, except now we're back to uh, Namju and she's climbing out of her hole. And now we've established two things. One, he's getting out, but also she's back conscious again. So now she's back in the game and it's just a really lovely match cut because there's a sense of dissonance that happens because like, wait, he was on a graded, tower right that's how the the baton was able to clutch uh latch onto the, the the thing and there's this this moment of confusion before you realize oh we're back to her and it's a woman's hand of course um they have another match cut uh before that much before that with the little boy and his father uh they go from them together running from the monster and they find a, a storage room that they're about to get to uh and then we cut to the door being opened by the family. And so they, they match cut this one idea of them escaping only to find out they probably didn't escape, but now we're also back to the family, which is also just one of those beautiful, heartbreaking scenes uh, because the family, that's the scene where the family starts eating dinner. And then suddenly Hyun Seo joins in. She pops up. Yeah. I was like, what the, where, where am I? What they, they got her. No, no, this is weird. And it takes it a minute, for right? a loop for sure. Yeah, it takes a minute before you realize this is a bit of a fantasy because they all quietly start f feeding her bites of their food. And so you can feel two things. One, the family thinking about her. But then you cut to her. She's thinking about food, but she's also thinking about her family. But maybe mostly food. <laughs> like she's been, she's very, very Pretty hungry. damn hungry, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I really have for, you know, as far as notes go. I just think it's a really great film. It's a two-hour film. You definitely start to feel it, you know, right around the halfway point. But it's all earned. I don't think it's it's very wasteful at all. I could certainly make an argument for places I might chop out. or, But I think it would hurt some of the thematic elements that they're getting to, uh, which we will circle back to here in a few minutes. But, man, I... I adore it. I think it's a really interesting idea, a really interesting monster. It's you don't see a lot of weird fish out of water stories with a literal fish out of water uh, eating people. It's a pretty unique monster, and it's hard to find you know a fresh take on a monster idea, let alone an execution that goes this well with it. Yeah. So yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree more. Um, it's maybe not his best work, mm. but I think it's one of my favorite pieces yeah. of his work. It's like definitely the for me one of the most rewatchable Bong Joon Ho films. I, c- I could watch it again right now, <laughs> which says a lot because yeah, it is two hours, which is pretty long. Um, and yeah, I think I want to say maybe almost exactly halfway. I looked to see how much longer is this movie. Oh, it's an hour longer. Oh, okay. So I think you're spot on with the the halfway point being wondering like where is this how much longer you know like where is this going um but i i thought that the directing was fantastic the editing to your point was amazing the acting is incredible the scripting is incredible too i mean the way the dad dies is is amazing where what is it gang do uh realizes it that that's a that's a wonderful moment because uh up until that point i saw the father as the hero the father the the mm. dad was he did i mean he paid $11,000 or something to get them out of captivity. Right. And then the first thing that happens is the kids are complaining about the map and, and you paid $500 to this. Why would you do that? Da, da, da. And I just wanted to slap him in the <laughs> face and he just stayed quiet. Yeah. He just, you know, you have no idea son, what I just did for you. And then um, getting them through the barricade to get out by giving away the, the change. Right. And then uh, all, all of these things, he was just, it was like he got stronger as as necessity deemed it so, right? Whatever needed to happen, he was going to make it happen. He was he was dad, um, and that was so beautiful to me. And I I, I definitely related to that. And I, I I I saw that and 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 so that when he died, I felt it. You know, it it would, could have been, you know, if the brother died before he had a chance to prove, you know, how vital he was to the team. I guess, or to humanity, I probably wouldn't have felt that, you know, but because the father did all these things and and there was a a brilliant, it was brilliant in directing to keep him quiet, to not like, you know, to not attack his kids for attacking him. And, uh, you know, when they were, when the the brother and the sister were attacking Gang Du saying he was an idiot and all that stuff, he, he was albeit they were falling asleep when he was giving them the, the explanation he explained like look he's been through this and that and and all his things and i think there's something wrong with him and and everything so be be loving towards him you know he's being a father the whole time the whole time uh even up to the end and so but and in that in the end you know you're thinking oh he, okay he's gonna fix this too i mean you kind of know he's not gonna fix it uh, i think but he at least has a tool to fix it. And then to real for to show gang do counting on his fingers does so much. One, it tells you, Oh, I made, uh, you know, he made a mistake. 
thinking he had another shell in the gun because he didn't count it right. Two, he he screwed up again. He stumbled again by giving his dad this tool and saying, this has something for you to help hopefully survive and fix this. Three, he went away. He like let his let his father be there by himself. But also he's not smart enough, at least in the moment, to to think without counting on his fingers. Like he visually, I mean, I know that's for us <laughs> right, you know, right, as a viewer right. to to what he's to tell us what he's thinking. But he who does that? Right? <laughs> if I if I know there's five bullets in the gun, I just think, oh, I shot four. Okay, there's one left. I don't go one, two, three. You know, that's for that's for us, but also it's just to show he's a little slow. And then also the brilliance of letting him get caught, Gangdu get caught, because he just can't leave his dad. Mm. Was he solidified his dad as a martyr for his kids. So uh he was the first hero in the film, wow. I feel like. Um and Good then point. there were many subsequent heroes, I think, at the end, and everybody got their moment, I think. But yeah, and it really it does that moment really underscores once again how everyone is basically a moron because the dad dies because his son is so incompetent, yeah. so blindingly dumb. So, you know, be so confident, like, yeah, I got one more, like you got it. Mm-hmm. But then everyone to think that this monster is finally going to come down from this one shot. Uh, yeah. Obviously that was just a, you know, stillborn idea. Uh, that's just not going to float. And what the, the real insult to injury is how the monster didn't even want his dad. Yeah. It just murdered him. <laughs> it just grabbed him and slammed him on the ground. Yeah. And that was an interesting way for him to, to die too. Like he didn't get thrown in the water. He didn't get eaten. Uh, he didn't get ripped in half. He just got slammed onto the ground so that he could be whole for his son. Uh, this is for us visually could be whole for his son to like see him and say goodbye and cover wow. his face and, and honor him in some weird way or whatever. Uh, so I bet there was a wrestling match in the writing process there because my fear uh, watching this was, Oh my God, is the monster going to take, him back to the den and now the granddaughter is going to have to see her grandfather. Mm. Like that would be horrific. Um, be and so I bet there was, that would be my, in fact, I'm, I'm very much that type of filmmaker who's gonna be like, yep, you're going to sit through that. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it was for the best. I think that, you know, I didn't have to sit through that uh, yeah. because it yeah, is, I, I wouldn't have liked that. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm not saying that that couldn't happen and that it wouldn't yeah. be, good but it feels it feels it feels for this film too heavy yeah right like there's there's, there's just too much comedy for something that mm. oh and the reason because it would be persistent he would just be there right yes for a long time in the movie you know mm. for like 30 minutes and even when you leave you that scene you'd know oh he's still there and she's dealing with that like uh her yeah. dealing with hunger and taking care of a little boy is enough for me to remember. For sure. And two, it also has its own brutality because the monster didn't take it. We can see a nice top-down wide shot of his mm-hmm. father just bloodied and beaten. Um, yeah. And that's that's enough punishment maybe uh, because that still sucks. Like, oh, um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, I would say that's almost all I got. What, uh, yeah. any final thoughts? Uh, just that Bong Joon Ho is a is a freaking master and is an yeah. amazing story. And anytime he makes something, I, it's so wonderful that 
um, his films have other meanings besides what it actually is. Is you know below the surface, you can watch it and get something else, or see something else, or see the purpose behind it. I think that's that's the brilliance of what he does. Is that I, yes, I see, I see, uh, you know, the meaning, but the purpose for all the each of the decisions is different, right? The purpose for leaving the father is one thing. The purpose for, you know, after he dies, the purpose for taking the little girl, the purpose for throwing in the the beer bottle or the beer can, the purpose for all of these, these things all add up and, and there's meaning behind all of them. And it's so cool to watch some, a film and every time you watch it, you see something else. Yeah. Uh, and he does that better than anybody. Yeah. Really. Agreed. Yeah. Nice. I will deliver my final thoughts here in a few minutes, but what's your uh, recommendation for the week? I'm going to recommend on Hulu, Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, I've started watching it and I, I, I absolutely adore it. I love it. It's uh, Ryan Reynolds and um, uh, what's his name from Always Sunny? Rob McElhenney. Rob McElhenney. I always forget his name. I don't know why. But they, they bought a, a football club in, in Wales, fifth tier football club. And I know a, a new episode came out last night. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm going to. And it, it looks um, four of them. They dropped four this past uh, week. Oh snap! Okay, great. Um, it's it, they actually bought this club. Um, so it's you know it's not like Ted Lasso and that it's it it's a it's a narrative. It's a documentary of what's going on and you know losing and winning and and relegation and and promotion and and dealing with players and all, and dealing with townsfolk, right? And you know, you see it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney. They're super famous people, but they're not persistent in the entire show. It's not just about them. You know, it, it comes back to them a lot, but it's more about the town. It's more about the club and they're doing it right. Like they're, they're making this in the right way. I, yes, I love seeing the, them on camera. Don't get me wrong, but I only love it because I own, because I don't see it all the time. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I love this club now and I love this town and I love that they're trying to save it, you know, trying to build it up. And it's it's really cool. So and it's ongoing at the moment, you know, while we're recording this, uh, which is exciting. And I love stuff like that. So, yeah. Welcome to Wrexham on Hulu. Great call. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm as you know, I'm in love with that show as well. Uh, and it's nice because it is documentary. The wins and losses are real. So. Yeah, we don't. I have no idea what happens, but it's really exciting to just kind of go along for the ride and say, it's it's been a great reminder of what it's like to be a sports fan because I haven't been watching a lot of sports the last few years. Yeah, and I, the thing I think I really forgot was the sense of community um, that comes along and the excitement that comes along with being there together with everyone and hoping for the same thing and having zero control over the outcome. Mm -hmm. That's a really fun, exciting thing, and I'm vicariously getting that again just by watching the show yeah good good call i have been struggling to pick my i have i'll let you pick one two or three three oh interesting call interesting <laughs> <laughs> is it <laughs> so i'm gonna recommend the ghost in the darkness it's a throwback film uh, about you know Val Kilmer and his desire to uh, hang out in Africa. Uh, no, it stars Val, Val Kilmer. Um, and it's about some lions, uh, man-eating lions in Africa. I forget which part. But yeah, it's a, it's a classic 90s film. If you enjoy kind of man versus nature stories. And uh, if you've really liked the host in Jaws, uh, I think 
that's a great one worth revisiting. Uh, or if you're, you know, a listener who has not seen the ghost in the darkness, absolutely worth your time. Isn't it based on a true story too? Yeah. Or like true of true events. Yeah. True events. And so I think they fudge a little bit here and there, of course. but the, the broad strokes are, yeah, very real. <laughs> Where like, like these lions would come and like take these people at night yeah. in these communities. And so they hired uh, hunters to come in and try to, find them and hunt them down yeah but they were they took like a lot of people yeah they they got after it they were yeah hungry hungry lions right uh, right it's a really good film like i might just it watch it again just to watch it because yeah no, it's, i know that's a great recommendation and it, it's great linked to the host because you know the host is is not real not based on true events uh necessarily maybe the the uh what is it the nature and and stuff Mm -hmm. and and our our you know destroying nature but but not actual events of the monster actually taking people and eating them but this actually was and anytime that you know that going into a film like that it makes it all the more serious so just know that if you go watch that that it's based on true events it's much better so yeah it's really intense um and i just love seeing val kilmer on screen me too me too So stay tuned next week as we cover another creature, one called Predator. Uh, Get to the chopper. So we're going to take a look at Arnold versus uh, Weird Aliens and see what's going on there. If you're, and that's the original, uh, whatever it is, 86, 87, uh, the 80s. um, And we'll see if the world explodes when he shakes hands with Carl Weathers. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and so if you're enjoying the show uh if you want to uh, don't forget to subscribe and drop us a review and leave us a note if there's something you want us to cover and talk about uh some of the things you find interesting i want to give a shout out to uva i've been <laughs> wildly mispronouncing his name uh it's spelled u-w-e and we were joking about this over email because um, he didn't he recommended that we do ghost story a while back uh, and we did. And at the end of the episode, he didn't realize I was talking to him when I was like, you know, shout out to you. It was that bad. He was laughing about it. And I was like, look, here's my embarrassment. Uh, and I was trying to avoid dropping this other name uh, for reasons that will be immediately obvious. Uh, but the only other name that starts with uwe that i'm familiar with is a, a director named u bowl who is one of the most widely recognized worst directors and i hope i don't know if he's still working or not i assume so um but just makes really awful movies ed wood level bad and everyone pronounces his name as you uh u bowl and so i just assumed that was also how you pronounce his but it's uva uh once he you know corrected me i was like ah see this is why todd reads all the names uh, Mm. and why we're really bad at this um and so Mm. yeah shout out because he also by the way he he bought us a beer uh, a few beers he bought us a keg um and so appreciate that sir i think one of these episodes will will either crack open a beer or if we continue to do these morning episodes i'm not drinking a beer at noon First thing, rolling out of bed and cracking open a bud. Uh, not that I actually drink whatever. And so, but maybe we'll have like a Bellini or a mimosa or something during yes, a, sir. a show. Thank opening. you, good sir. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, highly appreciated. And if you, you, and this is the the royal you. <laughs> 
if anyone in the audience, you know, wants to leave us a note or see the, the, the show notes on this episode, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the host. And our quote of the day is from Jennifer Lawrence. We need to tell each other our stories. We need to show that everyone, our neighbors, our families, our community leaders, everyone we know is touched by corruption. So this brings us to the other part of this film. And I didn't pick this quote just because I'm perpetually in love with Jennifer Lawrence, Todd. I know that's what you're you thinking. didn't. Are you sure? <laughs> Maybe because I am. Played an influence, but not the deciding yeah. factor. <laughs> but this film does have a true story behind it, actually, which, you know, obviously, like you said, there's there's no actual monster fish uh, that was, you know, chomping on people. But it was born out of a very real event that happened in 2000, where the U.S. military dumped a bunch of formaldehyde into the the Han River. And so I'll read, I'll link this uh, article from the New York Times, but I'm just going to quote from this article um, directly. Uh, and it says, July 15, 2000, the dumping of a toxic chemical at a U U.S. military base here ignited a storm of protest Friday uh, in Seoul uh, with implications for agreements governing the 37,000 U.S. troops in South Korea. About 100 demonstrators from a group called Green Korea United demonstrated outside the gates of the main base, calling for the dismissal of the top U.S. commander in Korea, General Thomas Schwartz. The group also called for punishment of those responsible for, his, for this crime under Korean law. Uh, the episode turned into a major embarrassment for the U.S. command, which issued a statement earlier Friday admitting that, quote, a one-time release of formaldehyde in February of this year did occur, end quote. It added that at most 20 gallons of the chemical were disposed of through the wastewater sewage system on the base. Towards the end, it says, uh, quote, the, the Americans despise the Korean people, end quote said the protesters, shouting the words in Korean and holding up placards bearing the same message. Yeah, so this was a real thing that happened, and it is important. Like, Jennifer Lawrence as an actor saying that we need to tell each other stories is so true, because honestly, I wouldn't have known about this incident if it wasn't for this film. And the year 2000, I was barely conscious. Uh, and so the idea that, you know, I was ever going to realize that American military brass decided it was okay to dump a bunch of formaldehyde in uh, some river. Wow. Like that's, I was never going to catch on to that. So I really appreciate Bong Joon-ho finding a way to, to discuss it and bring it to light in an entertaining way. But there's so many things that I think as an American, I'm watching this film and saying, I wonder if this means that. Uh, there's so many interpretations and, and layers of subtext that you could read into this film that I do, like the idea of Agent Yellow at the end, right? They're they're trying to fight a virus outbreak, and it they they produce this chemical uh, to fight the outbreak or biological terror, right? It annihilates all biological agents, which is a fancy way of saying life. <laughs> it kills everything, and Agent Yellow is a really interesting term whenever you think about agent orange right this mm -hmm. a bunch of chemical warfare that we took to vietnam and just the the wanton way that america handles other countries and in a lot of ways our own but uh from a military level we are very just lax and careless um and jerks and you know just completely ab abhorrent force in the world for the way we treat 
the environment, other people's lives, uh, look at what we did in Cambodia, um, you know, in the whatever 60s, 70s. Uh, we just, I mean, even in our own states, right, with nuclear testing, we've just, uh, and a lot of these monster stories arrive out of American militarism. Uh, you know, Godzilla, right, I assume is some kind of commentary about uh, the nuclear bombs we dropped, right, in World War II. And so this story is really smart in the multitude of ways that it's probably discussing the uh, United States military impact on Korea. Because if you also start to think about the Han River as a dividing line in part between North and South Korea, uh, there's all kinds of other little elements that you can read in between military intervention of the America uh, of America in Korea that created a North and South Korea, maybe in the first place. So there's all kinds of elements uh, that I think Bong Joon-ho is constantly discussing in, in a lot of his films, same thing in Parasite. And it's interesting to think about in an abstract way, if you want to tease out some of these ideas, uh, but yet you can still enjoy all these things on their face. You can still enjoy this as a monster film, um, even without all of the extra, you know, subtext and, and thematic elements. Yeah, I appreciate him as a storyteller and just as a very, very thoughtful uh, human being is my impression of him having never seen an interview or mm -hmm. let alone, you know, talk to him in, in person. Yeah, the uh, I'll just say this and I'll end it. But the that's really amazingly interesting because if you all the all the Americans in this film, which he never has Americans in this film, yeah. but all the Americans in this film are idiots are are brazen yes brazen idiots at that <laughs> bra brazen idiots the the first one the doctor telling him yeah dump it all out but the you have the korean doctor saying but wait that's going into the hundred you know trying to tell him that that's not good but he just like is do it and then you've got the the other american i guess military guy maybe that when the when you first see the monster that tries to help everybody, but he's so just aggressive, oh, he just right. like runs at him. Remember? Yeah. And and then you have the the cross-eyed <laughs> doctor, <laughs> the, the cross-eyed doctor, which is hilarious and perfect. Yep, it's in there. It's got to be right there. It's right there. Like, cause a virus stays in one place, right. of course. Um, it, you know, all of the Americans jump out at you as complete brazen morons that are only out for themselves maybe except for the 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 one guy you know trying to help fight the monster when we first see the monster but he's just so aggressive that he fails instantly basically you know what i mean so uh anyway that's i had no idea that it was based on a certain thing yeah uh and my my last thought is as you were talking about you know there's i feel it's all echoed with a line, a sentence from the father when he's talking to his son, right, Gangdu, and he realizes, hey, map number four is really upset because, you know, you you, you took one of their, their squid legs. They only had nine instead of ten. And what he says is, think about it from the customer's perspective. You wouldn't want people messing with your stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of the bigger conversation is stop messing with other people's stuff. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's exactly. a simple Great idea point. that I think we all appreciate. Yeah. yeah. I love that it comes from dad. Yes. Anyway. <laughs>
Anyway, great, great points, man. Thank you for all that insight. I, I had a great time. That was Same. fantastic. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Host. Make sure to join us next week. We're covering Predator, like Wes said. And share us with your friends. Please subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Comment. Let us know what you'd like to he- hear us cover. Uh, we always are open to, to suggestions. And until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.